welcome you as well. Thankful to be able to do that and stream these services live. And so uh, we are continuing our time of prayer uh, throughout uh, this season and uh, just really excited about the message that God has for us today as, we, as we've looked at our hearts, we've looked at our homes, and today we're going to start looking at the household of God, the church. And so um, that definitely applies to all of us. And the church was created by God through Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit for one purpose, and that is to glorify God forever. Amen. Amen. That's what we're going to sing. Let's stand together as we worship. Before the world, before the world was made, before you spoke it to be, you were the king of kings, yeah, you were, yeah, you were, and now you're reigning still, enthroned above all things, angels and saints cry out, we join them as we sing, glory to God, glory to Glory to God forever. Glory to God forever. 
God's people said. Amen. amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Again, we want to welcome you here, as always, to Christ Church. If you're visiting with us, um, you can always do us a favor by filling out a Connect card that's in one of the chair backs in front of you. We'd love to get a, a record of your visit to know who you are, how to pray for you, how to follow up with you, um, if that's something that you're looking for. And so please um, be willing to do that if you don't mind. Uh, also, just a reminder, guys, there are... I cannot tell you how many things are going on in the life of the church. We print these bulletins. Uh, our brother Tommy does a great job every week, and we try to hit the highlights on the front side of the bulletin for you guys to pay attention. Uh, but there's a lot of things going on in the life of the church. Uh, next week, uh, our friends with Jackson Avenue have a special uh, dinner here at the church, kind of a, a new vision, a new launch for Terry and, and his group with Jackson Avenue. I encourage all of you guys to be here for that. Uh, to participate in that. We'll share more about that next week. We also have uh, our congregational meeting, which is going to be here on the 27th of September, and our back-to-school bash, both together uh, on the 27th. That's in two weeks. Please mark your calendars, guys. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be a great day. And don't forget this Sunday, excuse me, this Saturday. Most importantly, uh, one of our greatest outreaches and ministries. If you haven't been part of our help group, please come see what it's all about, get to know the people who are serving here. It's such a blessing. So please be here for our help group this coming Saturday. We kick off things around 9 o'clock and need all the help that we can get. We've had a, a very low serving crowd the last couple of times, so we're going to need your help if you've been out or if you want to come for the very first time. I encourage you to do that. So again, check your bulletins and follow up with that. So we're going to turn things over now at this time to our elder, Jim Cole, and he's going to do a scripture reading and lead us in a word of prayer. Well, if I can get my phone to work. Need my Bible? Hold on one second. That's what happens when you get old and you fat finger your phone. <laughs> Scripture this morning is Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Now Jesus, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Berjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. 
Lord, uh, and your promise to us. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Yes. Lord, you, uh, you've given us what we need to do and the things in your word. And uh, we thank you for the truth and all that you have portrayed to us. Lord, I just pray that we can fix in our minds that uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And uh, we want to thank you for what you did for us and from going to the cross for us. Lord, I just want to lift up our church and our country today. Uh, there are many, many bad things going on. Lord, uh, you, you know what's going on. And as Brother John said this morning, uh, you've, you've seen the beginning and you know what's going to be in the end. And we just need to put it in your hands and realize that you are in control. Lord, I just want to lift up uh, Marcus this morning as he uh, continues our uh, season of prayer. And uh, Lord, we just pray that each one of us can fix our hearts on the promises that you gave us. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Just leave it there. Just leave it there. Amen. So we gather here today, uh, today to worship. We, we worship a living God. Jesus, he is alive. He is here. He is present. And so that's what this next song is all about. So would you guys stand and we're going to continue to worship the Lord Jesus this morning.
that together one more time. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together stand together, guys. We're going to remain standing as we um, read our corporate reading of scripture this morning, coming from the book of Ephesians chapter 2, a powerful passage here. So let's, let's read this together. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. 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 So guys, we're going to sing now uh, a song that really conveys that very thought. And that song is one that you probably know very well. But Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. And so uh, we're going to sing that together this morning.
Uh, we're going to teach you, it's, it's maybe not a brand new one. We've done it once before, but it's, uh, it's growing uh, on me as one of my favorites. Um, and so basically, uh, I want to teach you again just the chorus, and um, just so that you'll kind of have it in your heart before we, before we get started. But it's... Uh, So now that you kind of know it, sing this with us. It's a very powerful song. Uh, let's pray. Father in heaven, we lift up Allison to you now in the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, whatever's happening with her physically, Lord, just lay your hand upon her now. Just uh, bless her, heal her. Thank you for those who are taking care of her. We give her to you and pray in Jesus' name that you would bless her and heal her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, he's a, he's a way maker. Let's pray. Let's, let's sing it.
So you may be seated and ask Brother John Latimer to come up and share his scripture and a prayer. You'll turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, and we'll begin with verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Father, we live in a time that the Bible said would come when people called evil good and good evil. And as believers, uh, we want to do the will of God. We want to be guilty of doing good. And for that reason, some will say that our good is evil and they will be against us. And the things that we know are evil, the world will say is good and they'll be against us even more. There's a time fast approaching where a faithful child of God is not going to fit in smoothly in the way of the world. It's going to be difficult. But what the scripture just said was, if you suffer, it's because God's glory is on you. And it will bring glory to God. And you, in the end, will be excited to celebrate in his coming. Now, bless Brother Marcus. I've stood here in this platform for over 38 years. And it's not me. It's not even a place. But when a man of God comes and stands at the sacred desk, 
the Holy Spirit claims him and the space so that the people can hear from God and open their hearts. Lord Jesus, speak today in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother John. I wanted uh, Brother John to read 1 Peter 4. Uh, that's primarily going to be my, my context for this morning. As we've been walking through, for me, a very challenging but refreshing season of prayer, I, I, pray, I hope that you guys are growing in your, in your prayer life. If we don't get anything else out of this season, uh, it's going to end up being about uh, almost three months worth of emphasis of prayer. If you don't get anything else out of this, but you have grown and matured in your prayer life, then this has been a, a success. Um, this has been an, an achievement. And uh, that's really my heart and my prayer for our people because, you know, <laughs> the way I look at it is that we might as well go ahead and begin practicing that which we're going to have to do eventually. <laughs> because when things uh, get difficult or when you go through difficulties in life or when the culture around us gets increasingly hostile towards God's people, which we know, as Brother John alluded to just a little bit earlier, it most definitely is, is that we really get to a point where we don't have anywhere else to go or nowhere else to turn but to God in prayer. And so he'll either teach us through that, those experiences or he can begin to teach us now if we are willing to make that, that commitment to him to, to quiet ourselves and still ourselves and really make God a priority and to make our prayer lives a, a priority um, as well. And so that's, that's my heart and my prayer for you guys um, during the season. So the last few months, well, not really the last few months, I'm sorry, the last few weeks, we have uh, ventured into self-examination about offering our hearts to God and what it means to really address sin and, and confess sin and, and ask God for cleansing and healing in our hearts. We've, uh, we've looked at our homes and, and the relationships that God has given us at home. Uh, we, we know everyone here understands that, that the most pain that we feel in this life is almost always associated with the people that we love the most. Um, that's our spouses, our children, our parents, our siblings, our close friends and family and those kind of things. And it just seems like that's where we have the most pain uh, in our life is with those relationships that mean the most to us. And I think that's intentional because I think in some ways God wants to teach us in many ways how he feels because he's made himself vulnerable to us by allowing us to enter into relationship with him. The Lord has, has basically allowed us the freedom. This is a fascinating concept if you think about it. We have the ability to grieve God. We have the ability to grieve his heart. Amen. He's God. He's God of the universe, but he has opened himself and allowed himself into this relationship with us in such a way that he loves us and he died for us and he's redeemed us and he's purchased us and he's, and he's brought us into this family. He's brought us into this relationship with himself. And however, we still have the ability to hurt him deeply. And as God's children, sometimes we do that. But today I want to shift gears just a little bit as we start looking at the broader aspect of the household of God. Individuals make up families and families make up the what? The church. And so the broader church, and when I say the church, you know that we can talk about the church really in two different ways. You have the local church, which Christ's church is a local church in this community, in this, in this, this nation, in this world, are littered with local churches 
all over the place that are meant to be a light on a hill, right? A city on a hill. That's what we're meant to be. That's the reason we're here right now. That's the reason our doors are still open. How do I know that? Because when the Lord wrote his letters to the churches in the book of Revelation, the seven epistles to the seven churches, what was the warning? The Lord said, if you don't do this, if you don't do that, I'm going to remove my what? My lampstand from you. I'm going to remove my light from you. Guess what? All seven historical churches that the letters in the book of Revelation were written to, guess what? If you go to Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and you look for those churches today, will you find them? They're long gone. God removed his light, and they were shut, shut down. And that should be a, a sobering reminder and warning for every single local congregation is that there are things that we can do and there are paths that we can take and choices that we can make that eventually could grieve God to the point where he's going to say, I'm no longer going to bless you. I'm, no long, I'm going to remove my lampstand from you. And there are churches closing all over, especially in the United States of America, guys. There are churches closing all over this country at record rates. I've seen one statistic. Again, you don't know exactly what to believe. But ever since COVID-19 hit, the economic effects in, them, in and of themselves have, have hurt churches to the extent that 20%, they estimate 20% of churches in America will never open their doors again. Think about that. And so it, it is a very worthy study as a local church to look at the scriptures examine ourselves, and, and really begin to ask God to reveal to us as leaders, as members of this church, are we doing what God had, has called us to do? Are, are, we, are there things that are commendable according to, from God's point of view when he looks upon Christ's church right here, this local body, when he looks upon us, is he pleased with, with what we're doing and who we are and what we're about and what we prioritize and, and the attitudes of our heart? All of that, we need to really make sure that we're examining ourselves as a local Church, And then, of course, the, the church also refers to the universal church. And that, that means every believer of all time and all places uh, that God has redeemed and saved. And so you, you see that throughout the scriptures as well. But today I really want to kind of emphasize more than anything our church, local church. A couple of days, about a week ago, I was, um, I was in my studies and... You know, there's, there's a lot of um, confusion and, I think, misunderstanding about the relationship of Israel, the nation, the people of Israel, and, and the church. And I'm not going to get into a great theological discussion this morning, but, but God just laid something on my heart I just want to share with you today because I think it's relevant to where we are. See, some people try to separate Israel and the church, and yes, they did have different origins, and, the, and there were, to some extent, different purposes. I understand that. But think about Israel. Old Testament Israel. All right, think about this. They were the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. They, they had a distinct physical lineage. God chose them out of all the other nations on the earth. He chose them to be his vessel. And their intended purpose for the nation of Israel was to worship God, to relate to him, and to make him known to who? To all the whole world. That was the purpose, the, the original purpose. Israel, they failed at that purpose miserably throughout all generations historically. Um, but here's what's interesting. The nation of Israel was consisted primarily and overwhelmingly of the people of Israel, the, the, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We understand that, right? Do you know there were Gentiles also? 
in, uh, that were grafted in, that were incorporated into the people of Israel? Did you know that? Were they the majority or the minority? They were the overwhelming minority, but there were Gentiles. I think about Rahab from Jericho. I think about Ruth, the Moabitess, who ended up becoming, the, I think, the, the great-grandmother of David. So there were definitely Gentiles who were incorporated into the, the people of Israel, and they were believing Gentiles. They had faith in Yahweh, the, the Lord of Israel, and therefore they were saved by faith, and they were included into the family of God because they were Gentiles incorporated into this greater body called Israel. Now, let's look at the church. You go on the other side of the cross in the resurrection and the day of Pentecost when the church was born, so to speak, and now the overwhelming majority of the nation of Israel rejected, the leaders of Israel rejected their Messiah. Did, did they not? They did. They were, they were under God's hardening and condemnation because they refused to receive Jesus as Messiah. And because of that, what did God do? He began to take the gospel to the what? To the Gentiles. To the nations. So now, on the other side of the cross, the, what we call the church, which is the people of God, primarily and overwhelmingly consists of who? Gentiles. Are there Jews in the church still today? Yes. Things just did what? They just flipped. You have the corporate body of Israel, primarily God's people. Gentiles were the minority. They were still believers. Now we look at it on this side. Primarily the body of God's people is consists of Gentiles, but there are still believing Jews in the church. Why do I say that? Because, guys, from beginning to end, guess what? There's always been one people of God. Always. The just shall live by what? Faith. Those who have faith in God and his son Jesus Christ are righteous and they're justified and they're brought into a relationship with God. There's always been one people of God. Beyond that, even more critical in understanding how God relates to his people is that if you look at the, the story of the nation of Israel and the church, overwhelmingly, it has been corrupted by apostasy. So much so that the Lord talks about the people of God in this way. He says, I will always preserve for myself a remnant. I want y'all to think about this. I've looked out throughout all of the history of Israel and throughout all of church history, and it's difficult for me to find a time when God's people wasn't, were not defined by just a believing remnant when the overwhelming majority of the people were not believers. You see, we, we have the big head. We think we're the church. We think we're so special. We think that we're not like the hard-headed, stubborn Israelites of the Old Testament, guys. There, nothing could be further from the truth. Today, in our world today, apart from the very small groups and pockets of people who are in the most persecuted places in this world today, the church is overwhelmingly apostate. What does that mean? It means that there are a bunch of people who identify with Jesus Christ, who identify as being a Christian, who identify with the church, and they are unbelievers. Amen. But there's always a what? A remnant. Now, here's the thing you need to ask yourself. Are you a part of the remnant? Are you playing church? 
Or are you truly part of the true believing remnant of God's people who has faith in Jesus Christ, is born again in a relationship with God? This is the most critical question right now, I believe, that's facing us as a local church and it's facing the church as a whole, moving into the direction and into the things that we're moving into in this generation. Because many, many, many people are deceived, self-deceived, and they're, they're identifying themselves as Christians, and yet they have a form of godliness, but they have denied its power. Amen. They do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, when you think about the signs of the end times, one of, and I shared, with this, I shared this with you guys several weeks ago, but the primary sign of the end times is what? Spiritual apostasy. That's why Jesus and the apostles tell us over and over and over again, do not be deceived. Do not follow after false teachers. Do not be deceived. Let no one lead you, what? Astray. Because the devil, listen to me, guys. The church, the local church, is ground zero for spiritual warfare. Amen. Ground zero. It brings a whole new perspective of what we do and who we are and why we're here right now. If you think about it as this, this local church, not just this building, but the people of God who are members of this church, guys, when we come together and we gather here together, right here on this corner at Yale and Bartlett Boulevard, right here in Bartlett, Tennessee, listen to me, this is a stronghold for the kingdom of God. Amen. It is a stronghold. Do you know what a stronghold is? When you're talking about battles and wars and, and uh, two uh, competing kingdoms going at it against each other, you want to have as many what? Strongholds as you can. Fortified cities, fortified battlements where you have places to regroup and regather and, re and encourage each other and re-equip yourselves and get ready to back out where? To war. Amen. So if this is a stronghold and if this is ground zero for the spiritual battle, then guess who is operating in the church. Who is he? Satan. Amen. The enemy is operating and influencing and trying to do everything that he can to infiltrate enemy territory. It puts a whole new perspective on the Great Commission when you think about who we are and what God has called us to do. What did Jesus say? He said, All authority. In what? Heaven and, and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, my believers, my disciples, you what? Go in that very same authority and you make disciples of what? All nations. You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You teach them everything that I have commanded you to do. And believe me, I will be what? with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. So what happens when a church and a believer leads somebody else to Jesus Christ, you have, you have helped redeem them from the kingdom of darkness and Satan into the kingdom of God's beloved son, Jesus Christ. And when we come together as God's people, we're doing warfare. We're doing spiritual warfare collectively as God's people, and the enemy hates us for it. 
And if we're not on guard and if we're not sober-minded and if we're not paying attention and if we're not watchful, guys, if we're not careful, the enemy will find a way into the church and he will do everything to cause dissension and division and discouragement and deception and all of the things in, in between. And that's why we're always called, Jesus is calling us to be diligent and to be watchful and to be sober-minded and pay attention and to take uh, inventory and examine our hearts and, and test everything according to the scriptures. It's your role and your responsibility. Amen. Passage of scripture that Brother John read, I want to I want to pull it, bring attention to, to verse 18 real quick. Back up to, to verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Amen. I'll let that sink in for a minute. We're going to talk about that later. It is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's called a rhetorical question. I'll share with you in just a minute what is the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God. Now look at verse 18. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, You know what that's talking about, guys? The remnant. Think about the ministry of Jesus Christ. The Son of God stepped out of heaven, came to this earth in human form. He lived a perfect life. He came full of signs and working wonders and miracles before the people, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind. Jesus Christ, nailed to a cross, buried on the third day, resurrected from the dead. Think about this. After all that, taught his disciples for 40 days in his glorified body, resurrected form. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2. How many people are meeting together there in that room? About 120 people. A what? A remnant. This is Jesus now. He had the most amazing ministry. He is God incarnate. He, he came and manifested himself to the world. He proved who he was through his death and his burial and his resurrection. And even after all of that, still there was only a what? A remnant. Of all the nation of Israel, of all the people of Israel who had expectations and anticipation for the son of David to come, the Messiah to come, they were looking for him, they were waiting for him, and they missed him because only a what believed in him? Only a remnant of God's people from the nation of Israel believed in Jesus Christ. Amen. And guys, from that point on, all the rest of church history is the same. There's always been a true, small, believing remnant. And then the rest of the church, especially since the, apost the, the apostolic church married Rome back in... About after Constantine, if you want to do some church history and you start investigating what happened when the church married the Roman government 
became one of the official religions of Rome and the Pope had all of this power and all of this, this change took place as the church married the world. There were millions upon millions of Roman Catholics historically throughout all of history and yet history will tell us that there was only a what? True remnant of believers. That's where we are today. If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I think Jesus said it this way. Narrow is the door and difficult the way that leads to what? Eternal life. And what? Only few will find it. Few. But broad is the way and easy the path that leads to what? Destruction and many are going down that road. Guys, what's changed in our generation? Nothing. It's still the same today as it was then, as it was during the time of Israel and the children of Israel. It's still the same today. The question is, are you part of the remnant Now, I used to read this passage of Scripture out of context. Pastor can can do a great job of picking up 1 Peter 4 and say, listen to me, guys, for it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Amen. Let's do do some inventory. Let's examine ourselves. Let's, Let's look at the church as a whole. And I could sit here today, and I've already touched on some of it, but we could sit here today and we could look at all of the ways that the church has become corrupt. There's immorality in the church. There's false teaching in the church. There's a spirit of discouragement in the church. Churches are divided. I mean, there, there's, there's all kinds of um, apostates and, and heresies that are being sown in, in the church. I mean, we could go on and on and on about all the different um, spirit of apathy, the, the, the spirit of division that takes place in churches. We know that, that churches in general are, are battlegrounds, as I said, and that we have to always guard and protect that which God has given us. And so, yes, we're always being called... The judgment in that sense. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this. Are, are there opportunities for churches to repent of their sin? Absolutely. 100%. But that's not what this verse is really exclusively talking about. Did you know that? I used to not see it until I started studying this a little bit closer. What is the judgment of God according to 1 Peter 417. You might be shocked. Is suffering and persecution. That's what it is. This whole passage is talking about one thing. Look at what it says in verse 19. Therefore, let those who what? Suffer according to God's will. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So the question is, how does God get judgment from our suffering, from our persecution? And honestly, if we think about it, just take another step, another logical step forward, it's really not that hard to see, is it? Have you ever heard of anything like the refiner's fire? 
Anybody know the illustration of the refiner's fire? You take precious metals and you throw them in the what? And you burn them and you burn them and you burn them until all the excess was called the dross. It's the, it's the impurities of the metal. What happens to them? They're burned off. So that when you pull the metal out of the fire, it's what? Purified. Judgment begins with the household of God. We're about to enter a season of purification. You ever heard the illustration of the wheat and the tares? There are wheat that was sown by the Son of Man. They are the children of the kingdom, but they are also what? Tares, because at night an enemy came and he sowed tares into the same field so that they grew up looking the same together. But at the end, when it's time for the what? The harvest, there's a separation that has to take place because you have to take the good seed that grew into the wheat and separate it from the bad seed, the poisonous seed that grew into the tares, and you separate them, and what happens to the tares? They're burned with fire. Separation. A purification. A refining of God's people. A cleansing of God's people. Here in North America, this is foreign to us. We really do not have a, a context to understand persecution. And I thank God for that. I think a lot of people listen to me and they, and they hear me speak and they hear me talk and they hear me teach and they're like, man, you are such a downer. I mean, all, you know, you just, you just want to tell us all this bad stuff. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it, right? It's the truth. I'm trying to, because what I'm trying to do, guys, is show you what the Word of God says and how God is trying to wake us up to prepare us for that which is coming because just because America has not suffered overt persecution and suffering at the hands of our culture and of the enemy and everything else in between does not mean that the rest of the world, our brothers and sisters all over this world, primarily are what? They're suffering. We need to pay attention to what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ in India, in China, in North Korea, in the Sudan, in Nigeria. We need to pay attention to what's happening to our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in all other places like Indonesia. Guys, where they are losing their homes and their lives and their churches and their families and people are being put to death more than any other time in history right now. Amen. Do you know that there have been more martyr, Christian martyrs who have died in the 20th century alone than every other century put together. What's God doing? Judgment is beginning with what? With the household of God. Because listen, guys, this is what God is doing. He's separating the wheat from the tares. Amen. He's saying, I'm going to throw my people into the fire. I'm going to allow them to go into the fire. And when they come out, I'll know who really belongs to me. That's what this passage is all about. I never used to see it. And I had to change my whole message. Because when I first started this whole message, I was going to go up here and talk about how we need to repent of sin and confess all our sin. And we do need to do that. We do need to examine ourselves. We do need to, you know, test ourselves. And all those things are true. But what this is talking about, guys, is that we have to be prepared to face that which is coming upon the earth. The same thing that our brothers and sisters are facing all over the world right now in various parts of the world, being persecuted and being purged and being cleansed. Guys, that is coming right here to our nation. Amen. 
guys, it's coming. Listen, it's coming. It may not come in the next year. It may not come in the next four years. I don't know exactly when it's going to come. It's already here on different levels and in different ways, but there will come a day when every single one of us will have to face suffering for the name and for the sake of who? Jesus Christ. And look at what he tells us to do. But rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When is the glory of God going to be revealed? The day of the Lord when Jesus returns. It's when his glory is revealed. So we rejoice now that we get to participate in the sufferings of Christ because we get to identify with him and we are considered blessed. Look at what he says. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Because judgment, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Don't you see it? The whole passage is about what? Suffering for Christ. That's what it's about. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. While doing good. Now, what about the ungodly and the sinner? Let me answer this question real quick. If it begins with us, in other words, judgment, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Big question. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at it. What will be the outcome? Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. No, it is 1. I'm sorry. Let me get it straight. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let me make my cross reference real quick. 2 Thessalonians. Did I say 2 Corinthians? I'm all out of it, guys. 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, sorry, 2 Thessalonians, I'm sure, 2 Thessalonians 1, Listen, so the, we're going to answer the question, what will come of those who do not obey, very, very intentional phrasing right there, those who do not obey the gospel of God, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 5, read with me. This is evidence of the righteous, what? Judgment. Judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also are, what? Suffering. Wow. Sounds familiar. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. In other words, if people persecute you and imprison you and put you to death, do not fear. The, the, uh, the Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will what? I will repay. I'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. You don't have to repay. Don't overcome. Don't try to overcome evil with evil. Let me handle that. Look at what he says. Because God considers it just to repay with affliction 
those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When? Now, this is very important. When is our relief granted to us? When is our final redemption? When is our final relief? When it's all said and done, there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering. He says, when is it going to happen? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. How strong of language is that? See, Peter said, what's going to happen to those who do not obey? They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. I can't even fathom that. If, if, we, if we've never had any more motivation to go and to share the gospel and to proclaim Jesus to as many people as we possibly can, go read that verse. Keep that posted on your bathroom mirror for a little while. And think about the implications of those who do not obey the gospel for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Powerful. And so the scripture would tell us that he who endures to the end will be What does that mean? A lot of controversy about that. Jesus tells us that. He who endures to the end will be saved. Well, doesn't it really mean he who is saved will really endure to the, to the end? I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And so we think about being overcomers. The call to the Christian and the call for us as a church right now, guys, is that in spite of all of it and all the adversity and all the satanic opposition, the spiritual warfare, the temptations of the world, our own personal struggles and sins, everything else in between, all the culture that's pressing in around us, the the Bible calls us to what? Overcome. Well, who's the overcomer? Very important. I'll tell you who the overcomer is. You ready? 1 John 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Amen? Are you born of God? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Listen, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's what distinguishes us as overcomers. And so that when you belong to Christ and you believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says he's got you in his. The Father's got you in his hand and the Son has got you in his hand and no one can what? No one can snatch you out of his hand so that we will endure to the end. That may be the end of our life and that may be the end of the age if we get to live to see it. Guys, judgment begins with the household of God. So what do we do as we leave? Well, we do need to repent. Churches need to repent. We do need to keep preaching faithfully the gospel. We do need to grow in our prayer life. We need to become more bold and more intentional and urgent in our witness. If, if the time is at hand, which I do believe it is, we, we, we should be so much more intentional and bold in our witness. I'm, I'm convicted daily about that. 
And the last part of 1 Peter 4 says this, is that we are to entrust our souls to our faithful creator. So as judgment begins at the household of God and we here in America begin to experience more and more persecution and suffering for following the Lord Jesus Christ and and so much more oppression for being one of his disciples and for being churches who stand for truth in a dark dark age and a dark world, there's going to be more and more opportunities for us to learn how to trust God. That's our relationship. We continue to trust God. God, we place ourselves into the hands of our faithful creator and look at what Peter tells us. While we keep doing what? Keep doing good. Just keep doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good. Sounds simple, right? It really is. It's not that complex. So guys, my heart... I love this church. I do. I love you. I love this church. I'm so thankful to be able to be your pastor, to be one of your primary teachers. Here's, here's something I'm going to leave you with before we, before we go. Don't believe a word I say. When I stand up here and preach, do not believe a word I say. Test it by what? Test it by this every time. Don't just believe it because I'm up here with the microphone. Don't just believe it. You, you search. You, you, you're, you be a good Berean. You search the scriptures diligently to see that whether what I say is true or not. Test everything by the scriptures. This is your responsibility. This is your diligent responsibility as God's church and God's people. Judgment does begin with us. So, guys, what I want to do at this time is we're gonna, uh, I'm going to ask Dion to come on up. Dion and I are going to sing a song. It's one of my all-time favorite hymns. And listen, it's, it's before the throne of God. And the message in this song is, is amazing because it is the emphasis of our great and our faithful high priest Jesus who has entered into the heavenly places. He now sits at the right hand of the Father and he lives to ever make what? Intercession for us. Did you know that Jesus Christ is praying for you? Did you know that? Jesus prays for his people. Jesus prays for his church. Because who's constantly accusing us before the Father day and night? Who's accusing us? Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's trying to accuse us day and night. He's accusing us to our minds. He's accusing us to God in heaven. And there is Jesus every single time saying, no, they belong to me. They belong to me. I rebuke you, Satan. That's what Jesus does for us. And that's what this song is all about. And so as we enter into this time of worship, I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, guys, and we're going to go ahead and I want to ask you, I'm going to tell you that this this altar is always open. If you want to grab somebody and pray, if you want to get along with God right where you are, hit your knees and pray, don't don't, uh, neglect what God is doing and, and the Spirit is moving in your heart. Do business with Him today before you leave, okay? But use this time to pray and to truly reflect on how good God is and that He is our faithful creator. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for being good and for being faithful to us. And we pray, Father, that you would keep us and allow us to be full of faith and trust as we put our lives in your hands. You are our good and our great God and our creator. 
and allow us to continue to do good, Lord, in the midst of a perverse and a crooked generation, that we would continue to let your light shine through us so that as men would see our good deeds, they would turn and give you glory to our Father in heaven. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would y'all stand together as we, as we finish with this? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. Great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can be. tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within of what I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul To look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one. Spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with Himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the
May the Lord bless and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. Give us favor, God. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give us peace. And for we go in the name above every name, which is Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless. Y'all have a great day.